0: Hi there, welcome along to another episode of the High Performance Podcast. Um, look, our mission is a simple one, really. It's to share things that you aren't seeing or hearing anywhere else. We want this to be a weekly reminder that a high-performance life is there for you. It is achievable, and we believe this podcast will help you to get there. If it's the first time that you've joined us for an episode, it might just be worth going right back to the very start. We've been going for over a year now. Ria Ferdinand was our very first guest Let's say on average, our guests have spent 20 years learning the things that they're sharing on this podcast. We're about 40 or so guests into the High Performance podcast already, so... That's about 800 years worth of learning, waiting for you to tap into it. And so many people are sending us messages saying that they're doing exactly that. We had a nice, um, we had a nice message on uh, Apple Podcasts saying, I found myself needing something to inspire me and point me in the right direction. I now listen to this pod every morning at 6 a.m. when I go for a run. And it always sets my mind thinking of one way that I can take a forward step in my work day. So Jake, Damien, thank you very much. Keep up the good work. Well, thanks to you for that comment. Thanks to everyone for getting in touch and being part of the High Performance Podcast. I really want to just say at this point as well that Damien and I have really enjoyed the messages that we've had about the amazing, powerful, dynamic women who've been on this podcast for the last few weeks. Joe Malone, Evelyn Glennie, Charlie Pierce. I think it's so important that women get to hear other women talking in a really strong powerful and inspiring way and um we are totally aware that we want this podcast to be as diverse as as inclusive as possible um and we will continue to strive to have as many people who are perhaps underrepresented um appearing on this podcast as possible and this week we welcome someone really special we welcome one of the UK's most successful female entrepreneurs and I know I say this quite a lot, but this is one of my favorite ever episodes. And Damien and I actually, as soon as it was over, we had a chat on the phone and we were both saying, wow, what an amazingly inspiring person. And she has some great takeaways as well. So it might be a good time to grab a notepad, grab a pencil, sit back, have a listen and enjoy this week's high performance podcast.
1: Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard.
0: Hi, I'm Jake Humphrey and you're listening to High Performance, the podcast that delves into the minds of some of the most successful athletes, visionaries, entrepreneurs and artists on the planet and aims to unlock the very secrets to their success. Professor Damien Hughes, expert in high achieving cultures, is alongside me. And look, Damien, if we were to sum this podcast up in one sentence, there are probably quite a few we could pick. But one of them would without doubt be a podcast that reminds you that you are 100% responsible for your own journey. And I think
2: that really applies to today's guest. Yeah, definitely, Jake. I think um there's another sentence I'd used that came to mind the other day. I was reading a bedtime story with my daughter, and uh, it was a Dr. Zeus book where we read the line, why fit in when you can stand out? And I think that's another line that really sums up today's guest.
0: Okay, well, let's do it then. Um, being born into poverty and facing numerous challenges as a child results in an unsuccessful life, right? Today's guest proves that wrong. Moments of failure mean you're no good at things and you'll never make it. Again, today's guest proves that wrong. When people tell you you're overly ambitious, are they right? Because our guest today proves not Please welcome to High Performance, a woman who is an entrepreneur and created one of the fastest growing skincare brands in the UK. A woman who proves you can be financially savvy and caring at the same time. She is a persistent philanthropist. She's a woman who remains the only apprentice runner-up who Lord Sugar decided to go into business with. Clearly someone who refuses to take no for an answer. She's an enabler. She's an inspiration. She's someone I know you will all learn so much from. So please welcome to High Performance, the founder of Tropic Skincare, Susie Ma.
3: Oh, what an introduction. Thank you so much, Jake and Damien. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks, guys.
0: Well, what an introduction, but more importantly, what a guest. I, mean, I think your story is going to really impact people today. and we always start with the same question, Susie. From your perspective, what is high performance?
3: Mm, I suppose a high performance for me is somebody who gets out of bed in the morning with purpose, who does what fulfills them, and you know high performance doesn't have to relate to success in terms of financial means it means that you are living your best life and taking every moment as if it's your last and feeling that sense of fulfillment
0: at the end of each day let's get straight into this then because there will be people listening to this right now and they want to feel how you feel when you <laughs> give us that answer with a great beaming smile on your face <laughs> clearly living your passion and enjoying your life and they're willing to put in the hard yards they're willing to make the effort it's about finding the passion what what's the key to finding our passion in life to finding the thing that makes us fly
3: that's a really good question i mean i actually i actually watched um just to dive just to divert a little bit i watched um a pixar film recently called soul have you guys seen it yeah yeah it's so good you probably saw it with your kids right like it's so so good and there was one um one phrase that they said in there which really kind of resonated with me and it was when the the jazz lady says to the guy and she was like you know this little fish just said to the big fish uh, I'm looking for the ocean and the big fish says you are in the ocean and the little fish is like I'm not in the ocean I'm just in water and I think that life is all about perspective you know having that passion and finding what you're really really passionate about is is about perspective and it's about not putting too much pressure on yourself to have to have this really high level of achievement and and going for one singular thing, you can be passionate about so many things. Like I'm just as passionate about the breakfast that I had this morning. As you know, this conversation with you guys versus amazing. You know, this morning, I was actually um, on the BBC News, like doing this chat about ethnic minorities and business, you know, be passionate about little things in life and taking a moment to appreciate small things. It's not only about being passionate about growing this big business and, you know, living the high life. It's, it's everything.
2: So can I take you back to the start of the journey then Susie because that's something that really intrigues us that as Jake said in the introduction you grew up in poverty and then at 6 years of age you your family moved to Australia where we were talking off air about your father mm. being a street vendor and then at 13 you moved to the UK these are all pretty significant moves at relatively delicate ages of life so where did this understanding of being passionate come from when you were experiencing such, such significant changes at a young age?
3: Yeah, you know, it's, it's when I look back at my life now that I realize that, you know, my family and I didn't have much. That, you know, all the things that you see kids have nowadays um, was completely alien to me back then. But, it's a, but I only realize it now, looking back at my life, when I was in that moment as a child. I suppose because you have no other comparison, I never saw myself as someone who was a victim. You know, when I was living in China and, you know, my mum and I lived in this small shed um, behind my grandparents' flat, I I never thought, gosh, we're so poor or gosh, we we don't have much or, oh, I wish I had more. It was just, this is my life now. and And I actually always remember being very happy even when I was in Australia and my parents were street vendors and we were struggling to make ends meet, it was about taking joy from the little moments in life and, and always appreciating that. And I and I think maybe my mum gave that to me, just pointing things out during the day. You know, it could be that I haven't got any new clothes that, you know, all of my friends do, but the sun's shining and the birds are singing and it's a beautiful day today. And it's just reminding yourself that there are so many things to be grateful for and to just focus on the positives, which is often easier said than done. But I suppose that's where my passion comes from, that I'm passionate about so many things.
0: I think immediately when we started this podcast, we probably hit upon the sort of golden ticket from your perspective, which is passion for everything. Because I think some people look at life and they go, well, I'm going to sort of go through the humdrum, but then at the same time, I'm going to find the thing I'm really passionate about. And almost like a side hustle, I'm going to fly in that area. But I think what you're sort of explaining really well to us is that to be someone that's passionate, it's not, it's about being consistently passionate. It's not passionate about one little thing and expecting that to work really well. You've got to almost train your brain to learn to be passionate. And yeah, you can be passionate about setting up an amazing skincare business, but why shouldn't you also be passionate about making sure your breakfast looks amazing or that you sleep <laughs> in a bedroom that looks beautiful? Or, and and, and, it, and yeah. it's, it's not a, a financial thing either. You know, you don't have to have loads of money for people listening to this thinking, well, one day I'll be passionate. I want to have money to spend the money on the things I'm passionate about. It has to start with the passion.
3: Exactly. And it's taking those joys from everyday life and being passionate about the journey, which I think is more important than the end goal. Because I think often people say, oh, you know, going back to that film that I watched recently, Soul. you know, this guy was so focused and so passionate about this end goal of playing jazz in a more prestigious place. But once he got there, he realized that he wasn't fulfilled and he, he felt kind of empty, actually. It was like, oh, is this it? I got into my goal. But actually, when you look back, he looked back and he realized that actually there were so many moments of joy in his life. There were so many different areas of passion that he just didn't recognize. And I try to bring that into my day-to-day life, you know, try to enjoy every moment. And there are times obviously when I feel like, oh, things aren't going well, especially with everything that's going on around the world. But it's taking that moment to just stop and to change your mindset because your brain is something you can train in the same way that you train your muscles to get stronger, you know, by focusing on a certain area. If you always focus on the negatives and, you know, oh, you're not there with your passion yet. Why aren't you passionate? You're never going to get there. But if you train your brain to be passionate about little details of little things and being grateful for what you do have, then your brain will start to recognize, you know, that's your reticular articulating system, isn't it? That picks things up.
2: So Susie, though, th- th- if I can take you back to that childhood and that that passion and that innate optimism that you developed, how much of that helped you when you were going into say, new schools in quite diverse cultures where you were always going to be the outsider. How much was that a survival skill and how much did it help you?
3: Yeah, you know, I actually counted that I'd, I'd, I'd been to 10 different schools when I was a kid. And it was difficult going from Shanghai, where... I looked like everybody else. We all spoke the same language to moving to Sydney where I was very heavily bullied, racially abused, and the kids used to beat me up and moving around different schools to try and find one where, you know, I wasn't being beaten up. It was really difficult. And, you know, I haven't always been like super passionate and loving life in every moment, but there were times when I was a kid where I became a bit of a recluse, where I was trying not to be seen, where I felt like if I was noticed, people would realize how different I am, how different I looked that my, you know, I couldn't speak English back then. And so I tried to go into my own little shell, but I've always had a great imagination and I always used to love reading and take myself away. So Roald Dahl was my favorite childhood book growing up when I learned how to read English. Um, I used to love goosebumps as well. So, I used to just sit there and daydream and imagine that I would be somewhere else in the world doing something fantastical and incredible. And I think as a child, that was what got me out of that negative reality that I was in. And the more I did that, the more I daydreamed and imagined myself like flying and doing awesome things. You know, like Matilda was one of my favorite books um, and I wanted to be like her. And um, the more I did that, the more I, I became passionate, and the more I had that buzz for life.
0: Isn't that though the, the same things that have made you successful, Susie? Because I think that when we're children, right, we call it daydreaming, and when we're adults, we call it being ambitious. But they're mm. actually exactly the same thing. All your <laughs> when my daughter sits there and she goes, "Oh, after school today, Dad, I, I imagine if we just flew to the moon, right?" When you get older, you realise that's not possible, but you do think you do sit there and go. I oh, imagine if I created a business that turned over a hundred million pounds a year, that's still a daydream, <laughs> right? But it's a, but it's actually when we're older, we go, yeah, great. You're full of ambition. So I think that maybe that period gave you two crucial things. It 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 fired up your ambitious side or your daydream side, if you want to call it that. But also, as important, it got you to realise that you're powerful, you're strong, you're resilient. So all this mm. crap can come your way. And, it, and it, it doesn't derail you. I think maybe that's a really crucial period in your life then for where you are now, do you think?
3: I think so. And, you know, I'm a big believer in what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And I'm also a big believer in that things happen for a reason, that sometimes we will face things where we think, why me? Why is this happening? Why are these kids bullying me? Or why is this not working out for me? And it's working out for everybody else. But I do think that something will click in your brain. And I think that every single successful person who feels truly fulfilled have had to lose something in the first place because in order for you to feel happy and fulfilled you've got to know how it feels to be unfulfilled and unhappy in a way so that you can really appreciate the good stuff when it comes to you and I think having not had much when I was a child and having you know I suppose comparatively to my friends when I got to Australia realizing that I didn't have much Made me appreciate all those amazing things that, that then came my way so much more, and that's why I started to find my passion and everything because it was like everything is amazing, and there's <laughs> blue skies in the UK uh, in, in Australia.
2: So what was it then that gave you the confidence to then start to stand out, Susie? Whether this was academically or whether it was as an entrepreneur, what was the trigger that took you from being a relatively daydreaming recluse? to being somebody that then had that confidence to step out?
3: In terms of my studies academically, um, I suppose having an Asian background with Chinese parents who, and I was born under the one child policy. So I felt like my parents had one shot to make sure that I was good. And they poured a lot of, uh, you know, resources and, and pressure to try and ensure that I had a good understanding of the importance of education. So that was like drilled into my brain from day dot. So I Because of how I was feeling with my peers when I was a kid in Australia, Uh, you know, I mentioned I did go into my own little shell and I did bury myself in books and I buried myself in my studies. It was something that I spent a lot of time on. I was very good at because I'd spent a lot of time on it. And so academically, I've always been quite confident in my own abilities. And I think that, again, it's a good thing that's come out of a bad thing that came from Because I didn't have many friends when I was growing up in Australia. I didn't go to all the extracurricular activities and have parties or anything to go to. So I just focused on my studies. And then in terms of, I suppose, other confidence from the business side, it probably came from inspiration from my parents and inspiration from my grandparents who, you know, when they were faced with adversity and when I was growing up, I used to hear the story of my grandma trying to help her kids get out of China and start a new life somewhere else in the world. And her goal was to send all three of her children abroad, and she had no money. And so, she decided to start up her own business, and her business was going to be something amazing, something new, something that Chinese people couldn't get at the time. And she realized at that time that the Western trend of wearing ties was becoming increasingly popular in Shanghai. And she saw these like poor Chinese men trying to dress up really nice, but they all had the same poor quality tie. And she was like, "I can, I can make some ties at home." So that's what she did. She made ties and she hustled them at bus stops during really busy commuting hours and sold ties. And through selling her ties, she was able to save up enough money to send my dad off to Australia, which is why my mum and I were with him. And then she sent her other two kids to, to Japan. So hearing those stories when I was growing up made me realise that actually anything is possible if you really put your mind to it. And that's why I started my business, with the inspiration from stories about my grandma and even how my parents made it to the UK and sort of hustling and making their own way in life.
0: I love this sort of stuff, because when when you sit and have these conversations, you realise that inspiration can come from anywhere. It can come from sitting and watching a Disney movie one afternoon where you hear quotes that resonate with you, or it can be stories that you've been told about your grandma that you know, 20, 30 years later, every single day are kind of with you when you're you're doing your thing. It's brilliant.
3: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's choosing to take the positives from those stories because we hear so many stories and experiences all the time. And hearing one experience, different people would take different things from that experience. And I chose, you know, the the flip side of that story is that my grandma worked her socks off. She wasn't there for her children. Um, You know, she wasn't, around it really took a toll on her health you know she was sunburned all the time because she was outside you know all those things that you can also focus on so i think sometimes in life when you look at experiences it's taking a moment to stop and to question how else can i look at this experience what else can i take from this in a positive light
2: you could have interpreted that as a pressure on you from the family that you almost were obliged to go out there and be successful because of those sacrifices that other people had made. But how did you interpret that to instead go out there and see it as a privilege to go out and do that? What was the process internally you used to make that distinction?
3: So when I started my business, I was 15 years old in the UK with my mum. And it was just my mum and I. And my mum has never, ever put any pressure on me. Like, she has never told me what to do, when to come home. She's never even told me to do any house chores, like, which is crazy because I know that's really normal for, for parents to obviously guide their kids and tell them what to do. But my mom's always just been like, just be a nice person and do whatever you want. She's always just being so liberal as a parent. And so I never felt any pressure for my mum to help out or anyone from my family to help out and to help make ends meet. And actually, at that time, it was just my mum and I that I needed to worry about. And I think it was because my mum hadn't asked me to help. And it was because I'd seen her crying and feeling so alone and, and, and desperate that I realized that actually I was the only person to be able to help her. And actually, I realized that we had very little left to lose. And if it wasn't going to be me, then who else was it going to be? And the question I always ask myself, whenever I'm nervous about anything, I always ask, what is the worst thing that can happen? And at the end of the day, when I asked myself that question about starting up a business, the worst thing that could have happened was that I lost the 200 pounds investment that my mom gave me in the beginning, which was pretty much all the money that we had. But we just lose that. I have like 50 body scrubs and I'm just going to have to use them myself. So that was a worst case scenario. And, and it was like, okay, well, we're already kind of at rock bottom. Let's just do this. Why not? Yeah. Let's give it our best shot.
0: Right. Now what's interesting about this though, is in some ways it's easier to make that decision when you're at rock bottom because you have nothing to lose. Let's take you landing what you described as your dream job at the time working for Citibank, working as an investment banker. Finally, there you are. You're guaranteed an income. You can now live a life that you want. Now, you still make the decision to throw that job in the bin to pursue your true ambition of being an entrepreneur and setting up Tropic. Mm. It's a much harder decision to make, isn't it? Once you've actually got money in the bank and a job to throw away. So what was the mindset to doing that?
3: I think it was just questioning myself at that time and thinking, what am I doing this for? You know, I, I think that there are so many times in life where you're so focused on one thing that you think is what you want, but actually it's not. When you look at the bigger picture of what you're trying to achieve and what you want out of your life, where, you know, we all have a very limited time frame, you know, some of us shorter than others, and you don't know what's going to happen to your health, how long your life is going to be, you've got to question do I want to be doing this for the rest of my life? Am I going to look back at this period of what I'm doing right now and feel proud of myself for it? And I asked myself that question because there came a day when I was working in my investment banking job and I was working, you know, I started at my desk at 6am in the morning. I'd gotten up at 5am and that was after just finishing a full weekend of work. And I'd gone home at like 2am that morning, two hours of sleep, bit of shower, bit of food and back in the office. And I just thought, what am I doing? You know, my previous goal of getting that job was to help my mum and I become financially independent and to be financially stable. Now, by that time, I'd already achieved that with Tropic. Tropic had grown at a much faster rate and had made a lot more money just working at the market stalls than I than I thought. And so, at that time, it was like, why am I here? And so, I think sometimes it's about putting yourself first and thinking about your well-being and your health first. Over and above accomplishment. Because sometimes we can be very obsessed with that, can't we? Like we want to accomplish, we want to be successful, we want to look great in front of everyone. What's that all for? No one else cares. It's it's how you feel, your health, mentally and physically. And that was taking a toll and it just wasn't worth it.
2: See, when I looked at your career path though, Susie, that was the one that really stood out for me, that almost didn't make sense in the art that you'd done mm. that you'd set up as an entrepreneur. You'd started to have real success on the market stalls in what you were doing, and then you went into working uh, in the investment bank world. Would you say that you lost sight of your dream of running your own business at that stage to go and pursue what you thought society demanded of you?
3: You know, I running my own business at that time was never my dream. It was an it was a means to an end. So my education was always my priority. That that being drilled into me, I suppose by society and by my parents from the get-go. And in my mind, it was joining that rat race. So, completing my degree, getting that finance job. And I wanted that job, by the way, because I remember talking to my careers advisor at my school and asking her, what do I need to do to get into a job that will get me the most amount of money fastest? Because I thought money equaled success, and success equaled happiness. And that was because my parents didn't have much money when I was growing up. And my teacher said, you need to get into banking, investment banking in particular, ideally trading, trading something fast, something flow-based, such as you know, foreign exchange. Um, in order to do that, you need to have a degree, ideally from one of the top universities in economics, and you need to get straight A levels in economics and maths. Straight A's, you need to get great GCSEs, you know, as many A stars as you can. And I just did exactly what she said. So my business was always a side hustle. My my education and my career path to get to that high earning income was always a priority. So in my mind, it was just getting to that point. And I had to do it to realize that I didn't like it and that it wasn't for me.
0: What is the passion then? Is the passion being an entrepreneur, being your own boss, making decisions and seeing them be successful? Or is the passion simply that you love skincare, you want to produce the best skincare range in the world, and if there's success that comes with that, then fine. I'm so interested to know like, what is the passion now? What is this about?
3: Yeah, good, great question. I mean, there are so many things that I'm passionate about. If there was just one thing, I don't think I'd be doing the, this business. At Tropic, we have something that I call an infinite purpose. And this is actually inspired by Simon Sinek. I had the pleasure of going on a a challenge with him about four years back. And he spoke about having a purpose in life and a purpose is very different to a passion because you can be passionate about so many things, but a purpose is what guides your passions and is what guides all the decisions that you make. And he spoke about an infinite one, which is something that isn't achievable because it carries on and on the back of that conversation with Simon, I came back and I decided to create an infinite purpose for everything that I do in life, and that is to help create a healthier, greener, and more empowered world. And the healthier, greener, and more empowered means that it's infinite. You know, it you can't. There, yeah. There's always there, there's always more green and more healthier.
0: And this is about everything in your life. Then this isn't just about Tropic. Then this is your whole life is about this infinite purpose. Is it?
3: Yeah, and. It's you know it's very simple. All the things that I'm passionate about help to create that healthier, greener, more empowered life. Sometimes more empowered just means empowering myself more. You know, I'm really passionate about diving, for example. For me, I, you know, I want to share more about what I've learned about coral reefs and the environmental impact. Later on down the line, with our customers, our ambassadors, my followers, but also it empowers me to gain more knowledge about the world. So there are there are literally so many things. That I'm passionate about. So with Entropic, it is the skincare. I love it. I love the empowerment you feel when your skin feels amazing. and You're taking that moment to self-care. I love you know, working with my incredible team and brainstorming new ideas of how we can create the healthy, green, and more empowered world. I love developing new products. We're just about to launch um, a refillable range for our core skincare line and how to reduce our plastic waste. I love coming up with new colors for lipsticks. And I love opening up our new school that we did last year um, in Cambodia, funding days of education, creating a greener planet through all the carbon emissions that we offset So many things that I'm passionate about. And I suppose my business is just a vehicle, having that infinite purpose that drives all those passions together.
2: So if you were listening to this then, Susie, what advice would you give to our listeners in identifying their own infinite purpose?
3: I think, think about, the kind of life that you want to lead. Because what you want to do ultimately in your life will really determine what fills your cup. Because not everyone wants to have a really big, profound, infinite purpose. It's not what drives them. For so many people, their children are their infinite purpose. They want to make sure that their kids are happy um, and safe and They don't want to have like a big, crazy career where they're away and they're super successful and they're multi-millionaires because ultimately they're not filling their cup of their, you know, looking after their kids and and being a great mom or great dad or whatever. So really kind of look deep within yourself on who you want to be, who, uh, when you're on your deathbed and your kids and people are talking about you and saying, oh, so-and-so's life. What do you want them to say about you? How do you want to see yourself? And then work backwards from there to figure out what your infinite purpose is.
0: Susie, man, you've got my brain racing in a good way. In a really <laughs> good way. And it's so funny that you should, you should sort of mention children at that point, because I was sitting here and I've written down infinite purpose and quite a few other things on my, no- on my notepad in front of me. And I was thinking about this podcast. What is the infinite purpose of the high <laughs> performance podcast? And it is, it's to make everyone realize that there is even more they can do with the right mindset. I hope that's infinite enough, even yeah, more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, then I was, but then I was thinking about my wife, who I'm in my study. She's flitting right now between two rooms. She's got a seven-year-old in one homeschooling. She's got a five-year-old in the other homeschooling. And I thought, if I said to her now, what's your infinite purpose? My fear is that she would think, are you putting more <laughs> effing pressure on me? I'm trying to homeschool two kids, make sure they get fed and watered and and... And you want me to now tell you my infinite purpose? (laughs) But I think that that is enough of an infinite purpose. To make my kids have a better day every day is is probably what she would come back to. And actually, for people listening to this, don't feel that it's so much of a challenge, an infinite purpose, that you can't ever live up to it. That is enough, isn't it?
3: It it could be as simple as living a healthier and happier life with my family. Yeah. It could be yeah. that. It could be, you know, for most of us, that's ultimately what we want. We want to be healthy, we want to be happy, and we want to be surrounded by our loved ones. It could be as simple as that. You know, the healthier, greener, more empowered is is a part of Tropic, really. And and now it's a part of my life because, you know, Tropic is is a huge part of my life. And so it doesn't need to be anything as, as grand as that about changing the world. It It's just what fills your cup. And, and and I say fills your cup because ultimately what we're looking for is fulfillment. And, and once you figure it out, you know, once you figure out what fills your cup, and what gives you fulfillment, then everything that you do that helps towards filling up that cup, take a moment to appreciate it and to realize it and to acknowledge it. Because practicing that gratitude and practicing that appreciation for your life is, I think what is ultimately the most important thing. Because for a lot of people, I think they chase something that they're never going to be able to get because they achieve one goal and they're on to the next and they're on to the next and it's just never enough.
2: But if you went back to that to that period then in investment banking, because that's got a reputation of being pretty toxic and highly competitive and it's focused on, on money and rewards and outcomes and things like that, Susie. I'm fascinated at what stage in your cultural journey there? Did you decide this is just wrong for me? And then the courage as Jake asked you to then say, I'm going to walk away from this. What was the thought process? Because I can imagine there's lots of people listening to this that are maybe doing jobs that don't fill their cup, but they almost feel that it helps them achieve a means to an end. Would you explain to us about that courage to then first of all, recognize it and then step away from it?
3: I think, you know, really importantly, first and foremost is In contrast to to what I always talk about, I'm actually not a very big risk taker. I always like to have a backup. And actually, I didn't walk away from my job at Citigroup without having a proper backup. So, I actually applied for The Apprentice during my job um, as an investment banker because I also believe in going for as many opportunities as you can. To spread your risk, you know, don't put your exit all in one basket. Go for lots of different opportunities. And I did. And I knew that I had got onto The Apprentice. I knew that I was ready to go on the show. And I knew that even if I didn't win, if I didn't get the investment, it doesn't matter how far I go, I would still be able to be on national television, which would mean that I would have some exposure for tropics. So it was going to be a win situation for me. It wasn't so much of a risk. You know, that's really important advice that if you are not happy with something that you're doing, And you want to leave your job because you're desperate to do something else. Don't just quit your job, cold turkey, and go out there and start looking. Start looking while you're in your job. You have the weekends. You have the evenings. That's why I pursued my degree and my educational academic path. I still did all my GCSEs. I did my A-levels. I did my degree. I got my job. At the same time, I spent evenings and weekends doing my business. Had two paths going at the same time. I never, ever, ever put all my eggs in one basket. And that's really important because you want to make sure that you have options in life. And that's what I've always done. And it's until you have options in life that you can pick and choose and think, actually, do I want to be on The Apprentice and film and potentially boost my business and get an investment from Lord Sugar or work in this job that I really, really don't enjoy? You know, then you can make that easy choice. So it's not as, not as bold as I as, as I suppose I implied earlier.
2: Going on The Apprentice intrigues me because I always think it gives such a false picture of what business is really about. And I think in terms of the stuff that makes good television, like the drama and the acerbic remarks and the cat fighting and things like that is not an accurate reflection of, of what a high performing culture should be like. How did you deal with going into such what appears to be a toxic environment and yet still retain your optimism, your positivity (laughs) uh, and that resilience?
3: You know, it's, it's so interesting because I mean, I I was on The Apprentice when I was 21 years old. I just graduated from uni. I had like two and a half months that I spent doing my internship at Citigroup in investment banking. And I really had no idea what to expect. And what was amazing about The Apprentice was that you get to start. I mean, for me, I started 12 businesses um, in actually six weeks because it's actually filmed over. So every task is three days as opposed to a week, which is what you guys think on when you're watching at home, but it's actually much more concise than that. And what The Apprentice made me realize was actually anything is possible. You know, we'd literally w- wake up one day and Lord Sugar will say, guys, you need to come up with an idea for something to sell in Asda, you know, something sweet. And we're like, okay, let's do biscuits. We get our graphic designer, we just, you know, call someone up and sit next to them on a computer screen and say, let's let's call it Bix Mix for a biscuit. What do we like? We like chocolate and we like biscuits. Okay, mix it together. Call it BixMix. Let's spot a factory to make our biscuits. What ingredients do we like? You know, it, it just made so much sense. And what you realize with business on The Apprentice is that it's just intuitive. If you work backwards on the product that you want, come up with ideas, there are people out there that can fit the pieces of the puzzle that you're trying to create. And so I actually got a really positive experience from the apprentice. Yes, they showed all like the embarrassing, cringy, dramatic bits. and you know, a lot of that they have added fuel to the fire. you know, you're very underslept and you're malnourished in a way because I remember we had lasagna every single night. Um, so you are in that high stress environment and they they bring up the worst of you. but ultimately, I came out of the apprentice feeling so good about life feeling like i can achieve anything even though i didn't win and i suppose that again is about perspective isn't it because you could also come out of the apprentice thinking oh i've lost i was fired like what's the point you know it's so difficult so much pressure but i know i that was one of the best things i've ever done in my life very very grateful for the experience
0: i think the reason why that's a story that resonates with us is because one of the reasons for us creating this podcast susie is that we are firm believers that there's no secret in life right mm. it's about going and doing it and i think that's what you talk about there it's very easy from the outside to think what do you mean create my own biscuit to sell in a supermarket there must be some <laughs> secret to that that i don't know and the way that you break it down is like well of course doors were open because you were on the apprentice let's not pretend that didn't happen but it's about just going and doing it and it's like that for any any facet of anyone's life that they want to experience isn't it
3: exactly and I've had people ask me, oh, I really want to open up my skincare company, or I really need to do this. You know, I really want to get investment. How do I get started? And I often just say to people, just go for it. You don't need a huge investment. You know, before Lord Sugar invested, I'd like to think that Tropical was, was already very successful. You know, I was able to pay off my mom's mortgage and, and and afford a house for us in the first place. And all that started on the back of a £200 investment. It was buying some jam jars filling up with a formulation that I loved, sticking on some labels that I printed out for my school printers, and hustling them at the market. And it sounds as simple as that, but it really is. And yes, there were days where I made no money. Of course, there were days where it didn't work and my jars were leaking and my customers were unhappy, but you overcome them and you keep on trying. And Starting a business doesn't have to mean that you've got to have your business plan all sorted and and figured out. You don't need to have investors and a whole army of people. You can start very basic. And I see that from my grandmother who made a tie in her living room and started hustling it at a bus stop. I see that from my parents when we were in Sydney and I used to be a street vendor with them selling those sticky men that fall down window panes and used to throw them up on the side of department store windows. That was what paid our rent. And I replicated that at the market stall at Greenwich when I was 15. You can be very scrappy in how you start. And when you're very scrappy with very minimal investment, there's very little to lose. And sometimes it's just, it's just giving it a shot, having, having the guts to just go for it and seeing what the worst will be.
0: Today's episode of High Performance is in partnership with Mindlift. And many of you may have heard already that in 2023, I decided to give Mindlift a go, the neuroscience based personalized brain trainer to improve your focus and your relaxation. So I popped on the headband, I downloaded the Mindlift app, and connected to my own personal neuro coach. And look, because of my job as a podcaster, I get to experience so many different things that people tell me are going to benefit my life. And in all honesty, Once I started using MindLift, I just found that I felt sharper, my focus was better. And I think something else that you can't necessarily feel is that it offers an improvement for overall brain health. I also was really reassured by the fact that this is trusted by clinicians around the world. I know for a fact it's used by top athletes. I've spoken to some of them about how much they love it. And the fact that the whole experience is customised by your own neuro coach, I think just makes it really smart. So if you want to get involved and you're interested, now is the time with a $40 discount exclusively for you. And if you want to get $40 off your first subscription, just go to mindlift.com highperformance. That's M-Y-N-D-L-I-F-T dot com highperformance. Hey, look, as you know, in high performance, we love to highlight businesses doing things a better way. That's why we're proud to partner today with Mint Mobile. And when I found Mint Mobile, I had to share it with you. They've ditched retail stores and all the overhead costs and passed those savings on to you. Right now, Mint Mobile has wireless plans starting at $15 a month. That's unlimited talk and text plus data for $15 a month. And for me, those numbers are fantastic. I've been paying way more than that for my whole life. So if you hate your phone bill, Mint Mobile can offer you premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. All the plans come with unlimited talk and text and high speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And you can choose from three, six or 12 month plans. Say goodbye to your monthly phone bills. So to get your wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com HPP. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash HPP. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Can you tell us what you've learned from Lord Sugar?
3: So Lord Sugar and I are very, very different, but I have a huge amount of respect for him and the way that he challenges and has his conversations. So he's incredibly blunt, incredibly honest, incredibly forthcoming, and that's one of the biggest lessons that I've learned from him that sometimes you don't need to give so much of your time and a conversation to skirt around the subject. You can just be very forthright and saying, this is the problem, not happy. What are you got to do? <laughs> uh, whereas I would just be like, Oh, Hey guys. So, um, I've seen this and you know, maybe we can, you know, I, I, I'm not all the way to Lord sugar, <laughs> but I'm, I'm definitely somewhere in between now. So I think, you know, Lord Sugar's approach in life saves a lot of time. He's incredibly honest and he's gained a lot of respect from his honesty. So I think the biggest lesson that I've learned from Lord Sugar is just to be more forthcoming and just to be more, you know, open and honest and blunt sometimes.
0: I wonder whether that that comes from him just absolutely believing what he's saying, basically. There's a really good book, I don't know whether you've read it, from Bob Iger, who is the CEO of the Disney company. And mm. one of his big phrases is innovate or die. He was the guy that decided to rip up all the contracts with all the distribution arms and create Disney+. Plus. Mm. And the board were like, what are you talking about? That's guaranteed income. And you want to just go and set up this new OTT provider? They've done it and it's a huge success and it's transformed their business. But he says in the book that one of his superpowers is only making decisions and only saying things he absolutely believes in. Because that way you can't be unpicked, you can't be found out, because even if it goes wrong, you can just go, well, do you know what? I totally believed what I said and the decision I made. And I wonder whether that maybe Lord Sugar is at a point in his life, particularly with the age he's at and the experience that he has, where he's just like, do you know what? I don't care how you react or what you think of this. I believe it so wholeheartedly that I'm just going to tell you what I think. Yeah. And maybe, maybe that is a superpower.
3: I love that. Yeah, he's incredibly confident. And I think that confidence has definitely rubbed off on me. And I think there are some, there are often times when we self doubt, isn't it? Like, even when we are 100% sure and we know that what we're saying, what we want to do is absolutely correct because we've done our maths, we've figured it out, we've thought through everything. But when someone challenges you, you're suddenly like, oh, actually, maybe, maybe I am wrong, even though you know you're not wrong. And so I'm definitely a lot more confident um, from Lord Sugar inspired by him
2: so what have you learned about scaling up your business from him as well then Susie? because it sounds like from starting on those market stalls at 15 that you were designing you were producing you were marketing your product, and yet now you've had to by its nature start devolving responsibility and trusting other people to come in and do a job with the same passion that you did what have you learned about letting go
3: you know tropic has grown at a rate that i think neither lord sugar and i could, could have ever imagined or anticipated in the beginning and i meet up with lord sugar about once a month and we go through the figures he's interested in knowing you know the profit levels our margins you know he's very very savvy when it comes to finances and actually the accounts and the financial side and the tax side is is the part of the business that he manages and i'm the one who has to come up with the future growth plan and what we are going to do in terms of new product development, et cetera. And we've always just focused on doing the right thing, that infinite purpose that I mentioned to you before about how we can be better for our customers, um, better for our ambassadors. um, How can we make our products the best ever in the most eco-friendly way? And I think alongside that, I, I, I did have to let go of a lot of, I suppose, fear of things going wrong and trusting my gut and, There's been times when I haven't gotten on with somebody in the business that I've hired who I thought would do an amazing job and just letting go of those people and realizing that actually it's okay to stand on your own two feet for a little bit and the business is not going to fail tomorrow if this person isn't there and you can carry on. So I think a lot of it is just focusing on the right goals for growth, not about monetary or profit goals but about doing the right thing because the money will come and the profits will come if you focus on doing the right things for your customers and then just not having that fear of failure and letting that go.
2: So one of our previous entrepreneurs, Holly Tucker, that we interviewed had a great line, Susie, where she said that it's better to have a hole than an asshole in your business. Ah! (laughs) That I thought. uh, I love that. So what do you look for? When you recruit somebody to be part of Tropic Skincare, what are the characteristics of a um, of, of somebody that's going to fit into your culture?
3: You know, in the beginning, when I was first recruiting people, because I've come from a very academic background, I used to always say, oh, I need someone with a degree. I need someone with, you know, proper years of qualification or whatever job that they're doing. And over the years, time and time again, I have been proven absolutely wrong. You know, it's not about their qualifications. It's not about how much experience they've had in X, Y, Z. It is just about the X factor of passion and grit and that common sense. And that's all I look for. So I try to get to know the person and what they're interested in, what they like, and and, and hire them just on a hunch on the back of how I feel about them in my gut. And, you know, I often get it wrong. You know, don't get me wrong. I, I love that phrase. It's better to have a hole in your business than an asshole, because I've certainly had plenty of those. And, um, being a young female, uh, being a young ethnic female, actually in business, it's sometimes difficult to be taken seriously. You know, if you're hiring in your standard, um, I dunno, like a, like a more senior position in the business, they tend to be people who are older, who generally are, are male, white, and they come in and they think that they know better and they don't understand your vision. And, and it's difficult to, you know, even in that initial conversation, you think they have that X factor. But it could be that they're just not on your wavelength. They don't have that right level of respect. So even though I I think I've gotten better in judging people, I still often get it wrong. And you know, people come and go and it's just understanding and realizing that good people who fit the business culture, who understand what the business needs to achieve are really hard to come by. And when you do find those people, hold on to them with every limb that you have, make sure you treat them like guards, make sure they are happy so that they never leave. That's my philosophy when it comes to keeping the business filled with wonderful people.
0: That's great advice. And you talk there about being a woman, you talk about being an immigrant woman as well. You know, you sit here now, hugely successful business. You've been on The Apprentice, you've been on the Forbes 30 Under 30. I know management today named you as one of their 35 women under 35. Do you still experience people looking down on you because you're an ethnic minority and you're a woman?
3: I think in the industry, when people know me, no. But definitely when I go out, so for example, um, I have a colleague, uh, Carlton, who is amazing. He's like my number two in the business. And often when we go out, you know, especially when we're traveling to other countries, and this is pre-COVID times, when we go to meetings and people who don't know who we both are, they will sometimes assume that I am his secretary. Or I'm his PA. You know, just because I am I'm also really short. I'm like five foot two and a half. Almost five foot three. And (laughs) so I think people do judge (laughs) almost five foot three. (laughs) One day I will grow the half an inch. (laughs) And you know, I I am also really girly. Like I don't, I don't, I don't like wearing business suits and power, you know, power heels. I do love wearing dresses and you know, I like my pink colours and I dress like a and I'm very feminine in my dress sense so I suppose people do judge a book by its cover and when they see me they they make assumptions in terms of my position how much money I probably have or don't have and yeah I still get that that stereotype.
2: And how do you handle that Susie because I have this conversation with my children that I often say that when people judge you like that it's like a game of poker and when they and when they're quick to make a judgment based on whether they think you're rich or you're powerful or uh, or your gender or race, it's almost like they're showing you their hand and they're telling you something about their own values and their own sense of how they judge people. So how do you handle that when you come up against that kind of prejudice or that closed-mindedness?
3: Yeah, so it's things like when I go to a restaurant with my boyfriend, he's often the one that gets the bill. It's very small things like that. When you go into a, a fancy hotel or a fancy place, um, the the person opening the door or the person serving you will always say, hello, sir. Um, even if I've booked and paid for the reservation, they would change the thing to Mr. Blah and be like, oh, mister, how are you? And they won't acknowledge the woman. Like that happens everywhere in the world, wherever I go. And I suppose I don't want to make a fuss, but sometimes you do little things like, when the bill comes, you take it. I make a note of taking out my card and putting it on the table. You know, when they're putting the card in and they're like, they they give the machine to the guy, I'll make a note and say, actually, I'm paying. Or, you know, just making that point to make people realize that just because you're a woman or an immigrant woman or, or young woman or whatever doesn't mean That you don't have money doesn't mean that you need a guy to pay for your for your for your meal. Doesn't mean that the guy is paying for the hotel, and it's just challenging that mindset. And I see that. I see that that surprise look when they're like, "Oh, you're paying? Oh, okay, okay, of course, madam."
2: So that fits with your infinite game of you're teaching them about empower about empowerment.
3: Yeah, Yeah. and it's just not making assumptions. And you know, I don't know if you guys have daughters. Yeah. Do do you have daughters? I just think how important is it for your you know, for your girls to grow up in a world where it's not expected that the men are the ones who have money. That actually women have just as much opportunity as men do. And that women have just the same intelligence, capability of earning as much money, if not more, than men. And not feeling like, oh, you know, that traditional the guy should always pay. No. Why should the guy pay? We have everything that the guy have. So you know, let's let's challenge that, and I and I try to do that, and then some, yeah, and I try to do that everywhere I go, just politely, <laughs> so, <laughs> not to be like, why are you not giving me the bill? This <laughs> is very gently and politely.
0: <laughs> A couple of things, Susie, before we move on to our quick quickfire questions, which we always end the pod with, I really want people to hear you talk about hard work because I don't want people to listen to this and think, right, I'm going to do the passion, I'm going to find my infinite purpose, I'm going to do something that really makes me happy. I might do it on a Wednesday afternoon and a Monday morning if I've got time. And if I have to work late, I won't bother staying up past my bedtime to get things done. I'll just see how we go. Right. That ain't happening, is it?
3: (laughs) No. And, you know, it's not it is about working hard. I completely agree. And I do work hard. But it's not it's not always about just working hard in terms of putting in the hours. It's about working smart and working more efficiently. So there are a few things that I do in my life that I I honestly think is the reason behind a lot of the successes that I've achieved. And for me, one of the most important things in business and life is effective, speedy communication. And so from when I was in year five in Australia, I learned how to touch type. And I was like national champion for touch typing. And learning how to touch type at such an early age meant that I could write emails 10 times faster than everybody else. So it wasn't about working harder in terms of time. It's about working more efficiently. Nowadays, when I send emails, I use voice diction. So I go onto my phone. I literally say the words that I want to type, which is even faster. You know, I could say things like, Hi, Damien and Jake. exclamation mark, new paragraph. Thank you so much for the podcast today. Comma, you guys were great. Full stop. Can't wait for the next time. New paragraph. Best regards. Comma, new paragraph. Susie press send. Like that is so much faster than me taking out my laptop, typing things down. So, you know, those kind of little things that you can do in your life and everything that you do, think, how can I do that faster or more efficiently the next time? And that's why I think I've been able to be so much more efficient in my life and get to where I am today, because it is about hard work. Absolutely. It's about the grit. You've got to put the hours in, but make every hour that you spend doing something go even further the next time you do it.
2: So what hack has had the biggest impact then for the relatively little investment of your of your time?
3: I think this voice diction thing or touch typing, honestly, like genuinely, or leaving voice notes. It's all about communication for me. Um,
2: Jake's good at that. It
3: seems so simple.
2: <laughs> I
0: love yeah. a voice note. Voice notes have changed my life. Man. Yeah, no, you're very good but, at yeah. that. And also the, I, but I think the other important thing with voice notes is i'm a firm believer that life is about personal relationships you know if Mm -hmm. you get to know someone it's not about i'll speak to my agent speak to my assistant or whatever it's about personal relationships they're so important and the number of times i've come a cropper on whatsapp text email because i've typed something and i'm basically saying um this sounds okay jake and they've read it as this sounds okay yeah and i'm like oh and didn't mean that (laughs) So voice notes now, like we had an issue with the family at Christmas because of lockdown and who was who was going to see who. And I put a message in the family group. It didn't go down well. <laughs> it was. And, I, and what I said was they were basically arranging it. And I said, we've made no plans. And they everyone read it in my family as well. We've made no plans as in like you lot are and we're not. So I had oh. everyone on the phone to me going, why are you offended? Why are you upset? We haven't. And so from that moment on, I said, right, family. We're a voice note family now because you can't mistake <laughs> tone of voice or intonation. And, and it's I think it's such an important way of communicating with it people is. because it, you shouldn't be hiding.
3: Absolutely. Kind of nailing your tone of voice and communication is very, very important.
0: Right, Susie Ma, After that enlightening and brilliant conversation, which uh, we're both grinning ear to ear from, we're going to move on to our quick fire questions. Uh, three non-negotiable behaviours that you and the people around you have to buy
2: into
3: kindness, humility, and um, appreciation, general appreciation.
2: What advice would you give to a teenage Susie just starting out?
3: Um, care less about what other people think. Just do you. Go for it.
2: Amen. How important is legacy to you?
3: Yeah, very important. I want to know that my life was worthwhile and that I put my my brain and my body and all the things that I'm so blessed to have to, to good use to make the world a better place than I found it.
2: And what's your one golden rule for living a high performance life?
3: Be grateful, always. And take time to stop and be grateful and really consider it.
0: We are so grateful, Susie, that you took the time to talk to us on this podcast. I've got an A3 sheet, in fr- no, an A5. I've got an <laughs> A5 sheet in front of me. <laughs> Full of notes and things that, that you've said. I mean, I'm already trying to work out what is my... Here, quick question for you, right, Susie? Yeah. So I, I have a production company. Um, yeah. I have an investment in an eyewear brand. I do my bits of TV presenting. I have this podcast, and then I'm a dad and a husband. Do I need an infinite purpose for all those different hats?
3: No, not at all. I think have like a, a word that you might want to apply to all those different things. So it, it, it could be to just bring more joy in the things that you do it could be to have a positive impact on all the different areas that you do but yeah it's it doesn't have to be as rigid as applying it to every little thing that you do it's just more a a way that you want to live your life
0: I love it so helpful here I am using the podcast for a bit of life advice
2: (laughs) Um,
0: (laughs) it's been brilliant I I think the, the big thing that stands out to me is that you're clearly passionate you're you're clearly very happy with where you're at and you're enjoying your life. And this reminds me of the conversation we've had with Johnny Wilkinson, where he spoke about exploring and being passionate about every little element of your life. And right now you're, let's say you're going to a big meeting after this. You're not thinking about the meeting. You're totally engaged in the conversation we're having. You're totally passionate about this. When this is over, then the passion comes to the next thing. And I think that's a really good learning for people. And I think, um, the other thing that stood out for me today is you've clearly realized that life is a choice, whether it is having a positive mindset, deciding you want to set up your own business, taking advice from others. It's, it is is a choice. And I think once you really realize everything in life is a choice, life looks very different, doesn't it?
3: Yeah, exactly. And you're in control. And it's realizing that no one else is going to make your life better for you, that you need to get yourself out of a situation that you may or may not be happy in um and ultimately you have so much more control over your life than you might realize and just to take those risks take those opportunities and go for them and ask yourself what's the worst that can happen because once you ask yourself that question you might realize that that's the push that you need to go for whatever it is that you might want to do
0: wonderful what a way to end one final question. What was, your, what was your grandma's name in China?
3: So I call her Wei Po.
0: Wei Po. Wei po. Is she still alive? Yeah.
3: She is still alive. She's 94 years old. Wow. She's amazing. She's amazing.
0: Well, listen, we're sitting here having a conversation on Zoom because of lockdown, talking about business, life, and infinite purposes. And I think Wei Po is a very big reason why we're having this conversation today. So thanks yeah. to you and thanks to her as well.
3: Guys, it's been such a
2: pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Susie. Damien. Jake. Not sure about you, but that is one of the most inspiring hours I have, I've ever had. I've learned so much, the notes I've made are ridiculous.
2: I know, I'm really conscious that, I know we've both got young daughters and I'm, I'm really conscious sometimes when we do this that I like to think about what I can play to my daughter and what you can play to yours as well, that give them an idea that, that there's a whole world out there of opportunities that they can pursue. And that's what I've taken away from talking to Susie, that I just thought she was a brilliant inspirational role model.
0: I love that even without prompting it, she comes from the fault versus responsibility, 100% responsibility mindset. She clearly has just decided to be successful and she realises it's a choice. And I can't tell people at home how important and how revelatory it is when you decide that the life you live is just a choice and you just have to put in place the daily tasks, the daily processes to achieve what you
2: want. Absolutely. I think that idea of choice is constantly then liberating rather than seeing it as constricting i think it liberates you that you always have a choice you have a choice whether you uh, whether you're optimistic about an opportunity you have a choice about how you speak about it the language you use the way you think about it it goes back to the work of a guy called uh, victor frankl that we've mentioned a few times on the podcast who um he was a auschwitz survivor and when he was uh, came out of it, he was a psychotherapist and he wrote a book called man's search for meaning where he asked the question why did i survive and others didn't and his answer came back to that point around the power of choice. He chose to view Auschwitz like it was a medical exercise that, and he chose to take on the role of being a caregiver, someone that could offer encouragement and sustenance to others. And I often quote him because I think if he can do it in those most extreme, brutal circumstances, we all can understand and harness the power of choice in our own world and uh, in, in, in whatever it is that we're facing
0: and you know if you're still listening to this and you're still thinking it's not going to happen for me because of my upbringing or because of the government or because of my parents or because of the struggles i've had so far in life listen again to susie Maher, listen again to Sia Khaleesi, listen again to nims Perger, and you will realize all of them are telling you the same thing it's not about outside influences it's about your own mindset and your decision to be successful so i'm off now to Work out what my infinite purpose is, Damien.
2: <laughs> I think, I think you're already doing it, Jake. I think all the different influences, whether it's with the Coral Eye group, whether it's with Whisper, whether it's his podcast and all the other stuff, I think you're doing it. I don't underestimate you're making a real positive difference to individuals and the world at large. There's
0: always more. There's always my. I'm not. There's no enough. yet. There's right. no yet,
2: as Matthew exactly. McConaughey told us. <laughs>
0: um, and I think, the, uh, do you know what? One other thing I loved about that conversation was that whether it's her grandma, whether it's Lord Sugar, or whether it's watching a bloody Disney film, she's looking all the time for little inspiration, little sort of things to top up the pot and just keep her going. You know, and you can find them anywhere if you look for them.
2: Absolutely. Uh, th- there's a great story. Uh, I remember reading a book years ago by a guy called Andrew Lou Golden that was the Rolling Stones' uh, first manager. And he tells a great story in it where he he met this young guitarist in New York called Jimi Hendrix. And he said, they went to this club one night and there was a guitarist playing. And he said, in the first couple of minutes, it was obvious this guy was hopeless. And he said to Jimi Hendrix, come on, let's get on. We'll go and enjoy the rest of the night. And Jimi Hendrix said, no, no, I'm staying. And he went, what are you staying for? You can't learn anything off this guy. And Jimi Hendrix said, no, no, you can. He said, he's that bad. He might do something brilliant by accident. And it was almost that idea that we can that he was prepared to even watch somebody that maybe didn't have his technical efficiency to see if there was something that we can do with that. And I'm exactly like you; we can learn something if we're open-minded and curious from pretty much every situation we face.
0: Explore, as someone famously once said on this podcast. <laughs> Thanks very much, Damien. Loved it as always. Thanks, mate. Damien, it's been a really interesting week, actually, of of people continuing to get in touch with us. i I got a really nice message here. This is from Clive, and he DM'd us just to say, hi, guys, just a quick note to say thank you. I absolutely love your pod. To say I'm addicted is an understatement. I tend to listen as I drive into work, and it clears my head. It helps me focus on the day ahead. My son works and travels with me and has taken so much amazing advice from your podcasts. He manages a group of optical practices, and at certain points when he's doing team one-to-ones, he says he's been recommended ending episodes that he thinks would help the team and he says whether it be my management team and how they can take tips from sir clive about the importance of process once the basics have been mastered or baroness moan's approach to dealing with the challenges of life and how to survive and thrive or lily cole's way of living and making decisions that are truly human thank you for not skirting the tough questions and getting the best out of each interview i'm truly inspired thanks so much And what's interesting, Damien, is that we're getting lots of people telling us that they listen to the High Performance podcast at a certain time, either in the gym first thing in the morning, on a run before they go to work, on their journey to work, on their journey home from work. And I I think there's something quite powerful about working this pod into your daily or weekly rituals for just kind of enriching yourself and, and reminding yourself of the things that you've learned along the way as well.
2: Definitely. It's like a decision scaffolding, Jake. So once you've made the decision that you're going to go to the gym, a really easy way of making sure you achieve it is leaving your gym kit laid out next to where you get changed in the morning. If you want to go for a run, put your trainers right next to the bed so you almost do it on autopilot and you save having to use any willpower. And I think if you can utilise making the podcast part of a routine when you're commuting to work or doing something like that it means that you're going to get that learning and you don't have to think too deeply about going searching for it it's already there just waiting for you
0: and i'm interested to know what what tips and tricks you give people damien when you work with high performance teams or individuals about picking up on information and either noting it down or or kind of working out how you take the things you're hearing and applying them to your own life i mean you know that i am a a copious maker of lists and i like to write lists about lists about lists but the thing that helps me with that like let's say on the podcast i i really like listening to old episodes and reminding myself of the things that i've forgotten and all too often i actually leave that process more frustrated because i think how did i forget that johnny wilkinson said that how did i forget that stephen bartlett came out with that gem of golden knowledge
2: it, it kind of frustrates me you know what i mean definitely i think there's a really simple idea of thinking ink there's evidence that says that when you write down something, when you your advice to people listening today, get a notepad out and just scribble down notes. We know that your brain retains the information more because the commitment required to have to listen, interpret, and then write down your version of events means that it sticks in your mind so much longer. I was working this week with a uh, rugby team that uh, are starting their season and this was one of the conversations we had about game reviews. The amount of players that come and just sit and passively let the coaches share information that washes over them. So we insisted that everybody has to bring their own notepad. They have to have some questions that they're expected to answer during that review. So they leave there with a very clear intent of what they've learned from it. And I'd encourage anybody on this podcast to say, what's the one thing you walk away from listening to Susie today? And I've heard that you're going to implement in your own life. Just thinking in ink works so much more effectively.
0: This maybe doesn't work particularly well because this is a podcast and people can't watch this little bit. But if I, I'm now going to pull a post-it note off my computer that I'm working with. You can hear it. Can you read what it says on there, Damien? Because we're we're looking at each other over a over a camera. Can you read that? What does that say?
2: That says infinite purpose which is a fantastic reminder of the one message that Susie gave us.
0: And I've written it on a pink post-it note and then I've put dots all around it and it sits right in front of me when I'm doing stuff. And I tell you what, you know, I must have had 15 conversations, right, since we had that talk with Susie and I've thrown into the conversation every time, think about your infinite purpose. Think about your infinite purpose. Have something that is never-ending and is, and is a reason for everything you do and everything you do comes back to that purpose. And that is, that is me doing Think and Ink, right? And I hadn't even, I've not really used that phrase before, Think and Ink, but I like it. But even you and me who are doing these interviews and making the notes and sticking them around the house, and my wife's getting annoyed with the number of post-it notes around the house with various little mantras and comments on, but it does work.
2: Yeah, definitely. The amount of stuff that I sit and uh, I've got my notepad here next to me that I scribble down uh, questions that we're going to ask, but then having a really clear idea of the answers and thinking about how I can use it. I find that you're never a prophet in your own town. So when I tell my son something or my daughter, they don't always listen. Whereas when I can play them, uh, somebody that we've interviewed on the podcast giving them some advice, I think it's so much more effective. I had a really neat one last year where, my son, we got, he, we gave him his first phone because he was starting high school and um, one of the first questions we had, he said that he was going to uh, join Instagram and I said to him you're not joining Instagram and I, I was able to play him Dina Asher-Smith and a conversation that she had where she was going on it and saying that she didn't feel particularly great about herself coming back on it and that had more relevance to my son than what I was saying to him because... He doesn't appreciate my view, but he could appreciate somebody like Dina suggesting it.
0: It's really good, that actually. And I think that's where the podcast is useful because people can listen to it. They can hear things from our guests that is right alongside their set of beliefs. But obviously, if they're telling their staff or their colleagues or their family what they think, it maybe has less resonance than than someone who's been on the podcast. Um, Just a quick comment, Damien, that Joe Malone's episode has had so many comments and thoughts and such incredible feedback and i had another listen to it because sometimes i like to work out why it's resonated so much with people and i think it was just joe's absolute sort of honesty and vulnerability i think people can people can hear when you're being totally true can't they
2: yeah definitely we're wired i know we've said this a few times we're not wired to follow hypocrites we want to follow people that are authentic and behave with integrity and I think that's what she had in bucket loads. And she was good enough to come and share that integrity with us. And I think people intuitively, you just know it.
0: And it's also another reminder, I think, that we look at people from the outside, hugely successful. You see Joe's name, Joe Malone, everywhere. You see the amazing brand Joe loves that she's created since then as well. And you think, oh, that seems like a nice, easy, simple, straightforward, successful life. And then you listen to the podcast and you realize it's something slightly different.
2: It's the iceberg analogy, Jake. It's what we've said with Kelly Jones through to Clive Woodward through to Michelle Moan, that we only see the tip of the iceberg. I think it's the stuff that's going on underneath, which is where the real fascination lies.
0: Well, listen. Thanks for your input into the conversation with Susie Mar. I thought it was, I thought it was brilliant. And I told my daughter afterwards that she watched Soul as well, the Disney film, and uh, she took some inspiration from that. So hey, look, you can get inspiration from anywhere, right? It doesn't have to be doesn't have to be just somewhere where you'd expect to to hear it Damien thank you so much as always mate it's been wonderful to uh, to chat to you and uh, thanks so much for your hard work thanks as well to Hannah thanks to Will thanks to Finn Ryan from Reading Audio for his hard work thank you so much for being part of the High Performance Podcast to all of you at home thanks for your comments thanks for your input thanks for your feedback don't forget keep following us on Instagram keep checking us out on YouTube keep sharing the podcast with your family and friends because the aim is simply to help people to live a more high performance Life. Have a brilliant day and we'll see you again very soon.
1: Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you ching. Get a $1 per month trial period at Shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time.